Hi, this is Arturis Karnishovas from Denver Nuggets, and you're listening to West Coast Pirates. Seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead. Guarded by Ochefu. Gets the step into the lane. Goes to the bucket. Layup. Rolls around and in. And a foul. Whitehead ties the game. Pow! From Trenton. Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes. Coming to you just west of the Ward Place Gate from San Diego, California. He is Mike Dizzy Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tommy Chilkoharski, class of 1997, and we are Left Coast Pirates. How you doing today, Michael? Doing well, Tommy. How are you doing? Michael, the time for hype is over because the season is here. As of this recording, we are three days away from tip-off against Wagner. Can you believe it's actually only three days away at this point? I, I can't. Michael, I've been chomping at the bit. This has been the most hype a season has had for Seton Hall basketball since 1992-93. And we're going to be joining the fun because we got some fun segments that we're going to be adding to the show. We've got some real interesting guests coming in that's going to they're going to pop in and give us their opinions. Well, I can't believe you dragged me into another podcast. I figured we just kind of let the Wagner game happen, you know, move on past Stony Brook and then we, you know, build up all the hype for Michigan State, but you're sucking me back in for one more, huh? That's what I do, Mike. I drag you crying and screaming through the doors of success, Mike. But let's talk about what we got going on tonight. We've got a really great first podcast of the season. Here's what you can expect in this hour or so. We're going to do a rundown of the exhibition. We're going to talk about the initial results of the hype and the buzz that's been developing this whole summer long. We're going to do a quick recruiting touch on the upcoming Earl Timberlake decision. We're going to look at the week ahead as Wagner and Stony Brook come into the Walsh Gymnasium for the first games. And we're going to have a special preview of the women's team as Seton Hall Zone women's basketball coach Tony Bazella joins us so so let me get this straight o- over the summer you were you didn't even want to sign up for flow hoops to watch the exhibition games in Italy because well, why that even is bother? a lie that is a <laughs> falsehood so we do an entire podcast on the Italy exhibition games and now here we are we didn't even get a chance to watch the exhibition games in Walsh uh, no thanks to any uh, live television broadcast but we're gonna break it down again aren't we hey I tried to be an influencer <laughs> We're going to break it down based on the WSOU broadcasts, what we see in the box scores, and some of the banter we've seen online. So All right, Mike, fair, fair enough. So, Mike, the first exhibition, Bloomfield, 81-52. I don't have much from this game. I, here, here are the takeaways from what I read. It was interesting to see Jared Roden get back on the court. Yeah, there was concern that his ankle was lingering. It was worse than uh, we perceived. It was We thought the walking boot was precautionary uh, when he came back out of the JSBL over the summer. Didn't play in the, uh, the first Italy exhibition game. Looked pretty good in the second. Then he comes back to South Orange, and there's rumors that the ankle is still 
still acting up. So, I mean, that that was a concern considering how big of a role he's supposed to play off the bench for other, us this year. But he came out shooting three of five and three. Says that watched the game said that there were no ill effects to the ankle. So that's that's my takeaway. Really nothing else more than that. I mean, I, I guess you could point to the fact that Samuels had 10 rebounds. And whenever a guy is going to grab 10 boards and he's one of your freshmen that you're looking towards to possibly contribute, that's a good sign. You, you know where I want to go with this game. And you, you tell me I shouldn't go here. But I have one major takeaway from this game. Michael, what is it? It's it's Torian Thompson again. W- Willard it basically rolled out a nine-man rotation. It's an exhibition game against Bloomfield, and Thompson doesn't step on the floor till nine minutes to go in the second half, and Brody doesn't see action till five minutes to play in the game. It's like they basically got mop-up time during an exhibition when the whole purpose of an exhibition is to give all the players on the roster, you know, some playing time, you know, integrate some different looks. And if Thompson was going to find any way to kind of get back into the rotation in any capacity, here's an opportunity to do so at no risk, and he doesn't get the play still? Mike, I don't know what to say about it. We, we, we laughed about the fact that he was in the doghouse in Italy, and it looks like he's still in the doghouse now. Although he got a great reaction from the crowd when he got in and he shot that first three and it went in, I don't know that he's going to get a whole lot of PT this year. Oh, he's he's clearly become a fan favorite. There is no doubt about that. But there are people, you know, on the blog sites or, you know, fans kind of chatting on the message boards going, all right, you know, we got Thompson still. No, you don't have Thompson. You have Thompson and Brody right now, in my opinion, as insurance policies in case anybody in the front court comes down with a major injury at some point in the season. And and that might not even necessarily get them into the lineup. He might shuffle guys around and play road more at the four, like we said, if we had a major injury. But th- this is just kind of a telltale to the fans that, you know, maybe you're not going to see Thompson play that series of a role for us well we had a second exhibition game and i'm gonna butcher the name of this team it was a d3 team from pennsylvania misericordia it make went... italian for you like misericordia yeah, i don't know man <laughs> but it was 112 38 um it, it, to be honest with you mike listening to it and and taking a look at the box scores i'm wondering why we even played this game couldn't we have not scheduled someone that would have given us a little more competition bloomfield since seemed to give us a little bit more of a run i mean this was almost like grabbing you know eight guys from the wreck and saying hey let's play one the the stats are pretty stupid 25 steals 72 to 6 in the paint we shot 70 percent on our two-point field goal attempts and we beat them 27 to 0 on the fast break i it just like you said it was going through the motions this is why i wanted to see potentially i i know the fans wouldn't have enjoyed this because one one less ticket they could come out to to enjoy this team but this is why I, when we had the conversation with carino hey maybe kevin could have replaced this game with one of those behind closed door scrimmages against a more prominent team you know a school in the power five i'd even settle for an a10 school just something with a little more teeth relative to the competition to get them ready and yeah this is probably even worse than the italian exhibition games believe it or not we took great advantage of this d3 team i mean miles powell came out like a gunslinger he made four of his six threes from probably about five to six feet behind the line he scored i believe 14 of the first 16 points seaton all had so i'm not even sure you really even got a good look at what this team's going to do this year. They were deep though, man. He's he's got like an unconscious trigger. He wasn't even thinking about it. I mean, when I when I, people are worried is the new line going to make a difference? And then people joke said not for Miles Powell. They could move the line out another 4 feet. It doesn't matter for him. He's he's just hoisting them up with confidence right now. It's it's going to be a really exciting year to watch him play. Like they say, you got to guard him once he steps off the bus, Mike. Uh, another guy that had another good game. Again, this is a 
exhibition against D3. But Tyree Samuel looked good. Here's my takeaway on this. I, I didn't get a chance to see him play, but we watched the Flow Hoop games in Italy. So for us, that was the first opportunity to see him play. And we were like, wow, he, he's got some talent. He's got some overall skill set. If he developed over the course of the next couple seasons, he could be a really, really talented player and possibly challenge for some Big East of the, you know, player of the year, maybe not player of the year, but all Big East type honors as he progresses in his development. We saw that. How many people actually watched those flow hoop games? I mean, honestly. I think me and you did. Uh, okay, I, that might, maybe five more, maybe a dozen. Point is, for most people, this is the first time they, get, they got a chance to see him. We're talking about the tomahawk dunk that he basically brought behind his head and threw down in Italy. They didn't get a chance to see that. So you, you can, you know, we put a picture online. They could hear us talk about it. All of a sudden, for the first time, you see some of the raw skill sets that he brings you know, to the team and you're like, whoa, he might actually contribute this year. He might actually be a viable piece off the bench. So I think because he made a first impression to a lot of the bloggers and writers, that's why I think he got a lot of press. I'm not surprised he showed this talent in the exhibition games. And Michael, the only big takeaway I take from this game is Grant Billmeyer made his head coaching debut. And why did Grant have to make his head coaching debut? Because Kevin got caught with his hand in the cookie jar. My goodness. Biggest news to come out came out a couple hours before the game started. Kevin Willard was suspended by Seton Hall for two games. The exhibition game that night and the first game against Wagner for potential transfer tampering. Now, there hasn't been any kind of real final verdict on this from the NCAA and no actual word about what happened, who complained, etc. So we're dealing with all sorts of conjecture at this point. I think it's a bunch of bogus. I, I think any player that truly transfers in the college game, there's some type of conversation that's happening behind the scenes. It happens at all programs with all players. You're not literally just leaving Dodge and then, you know, crossing your fingers as to where you might go next. You're kind of putting out a feeler probably through your ex buddies from an AAU team, so on and so forth. I guarantee you there's some type of conversation that happens behind closed doors in every one of these transfer situations. What happened here and that no one's really talking about is Bayheim got annoyed. Bayheim got insulted that Kevin came plucking one of his guys because they actually out-recruited us initially when Thompson first declared to go to Syracuse. So now he's not happy, and all of a sudden he's coming back home, and I think Bayheim took that as a, yeah, I'm annoyed. I, I want to kind of poke back at Kevin here, so he made a bigger issue of it. What bothers me is when he's now questioned about it as the suspension is announced, he denies the entire allegation. Michael, you know how I feel about all things Syracuse and Jim Beheim in general. Obviously, it's all conjecture because nothing has been put on paper. But yeah, Jimmy Beheim didn't like it. He didn't like that his game was being played on him. Who is this Kevin Willard from this small little school to take one of my guys? And I think what the fan base needs to remember here is this was a self-imposed suspension by Seton Hall and Kevin Willard. They're trying to get out ahead of the situation. Smart by them. I mean, hopefully uh, the NCAA doesn't come down upon them with further uh, ramifications, but he essentially said, you know what? I'm going to sit out a exhibition game. And the reality is, as we talk more about it in the next upcoming segment, Wagner's like an exhibition game too. So he's not really putting the team at risk by him not being there. And on top of that, as you said, we have all the faith in the world in Grant Billmeyer and the performance he showed against 
Mesocordia. Well, now, but the question is, is the NCAA going to look at this and say this is sufficient? Now, and you never know how the NCAA is going to act. Look at what they did with North Carolina. They basically said, oh, don't worry about it. Everybody had access to it, so we're not going to punish the team for players going to fake classes. Look at Kansas. Kansas has got all sorts of problems right now, and Bill Self is flaunting it. He's bringing Snoop Dogg into it and throwing out cash. You know, he's making it rain at the Midnight Madness. So it's going to be interesting to see how the NCAA handles a smaller team. I think this is a non-story, to be honest. I mean, you got Dave Lato. No, it's not a non-story. Mike, he got suspended. No, he self-imposed. It doesn't matter whether it's self-imposed. It's still a story. Something happened, Mike. Let me give you a comparative analysis here. You got Dave Lato at DePaul, where they actually have specific recruiting violations, more blatant than a rumor of a behind-doors conversation with a transfer, and he got suspended for three games to start the season. Three games. We we did two to try to be out ahead of the curve here. I, I, I don't see it going much further than this. I really don't. Let's go moving on. Uh, this is my favorite segment today. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. All you all you did on the season preview episode was like, Mike, I don't understand what all your love for the hype is. This is the reason. This is the reason. Boom. AP poll. All the hype gets us this recognition in the polls. 12th in the AP. 13th in the coaches. 20th in Ken Palm. I, I don't understand this ESPN BPI, you know, uh, basketball power index. How are we 46? Explain that to me. Michael, it's ESPN's way of staying relevant. I don't like the fact that in all these metrics, we still have to be one step behind Villanova. We were picked by the coaches who probably this conference better than anybody else. All the players, ins and outs, who's coming in, who's left. And we were picked to finish ahead of Villanova in the conference standings. Yet Villanova and all the coaches and AP poll, they're ranked 10th. And in the ESPN BPI, they're fourth. All right, Mike. So let, let, let me do this. I know you've got the in for Villanova. But just think about what you just said. The AP and the coaches chose Villanova ahead of Seton Hall. You've got coaches and AP writers from all around the country who were not in our little geographical niche here. So they see Villanova's name. They know Villanova's recent track record. Two national titles in the last four years or five years, I believe. Of course they're going to pick Villanova. Until you slay the king, you can't be king, Mike. That's why we got to do it this year. I think it's lazy voting. It's just Of course it's lazy voting. Last year they had guys that voted for Seton Hall in the top 25 after they had lost to DePaul. Of course it's lazy voting. Something should be done about that. I, I just It bothers me. It's not the, it's not the be-all and end-all at this point. The games are going to play themselves out, and the cream will rise to the top, and hopefully we'll be where we need to be. We got chosen to come in first. By how many votes, Mike? I believe it was one vote. It could have been a tie. So the fact that, uh, that Villanova has been chosen a couple spots ahead of us in the AP and the coaches. It's not like they got chosen five and we're in 15. It's not that egregious. All right, all right, let's not beat a dead horse over this. I I want to continue with the hype train. You just don't Uh, like it when when I- No, no, you got me on this one. I just want to admit that I lost this this debate. No, I'm not going to give you that satisfaction. But what I want to do now is I want to move on from the hype and transition this to the the advanced ticket sales. If you don't think the respect was given for the AP voting, that's fine. But our fan base is buying into the hype, and they are truly buying because they're buying tickets. You told me back in the day when it was Terry DeHare and Jerry Walker, and this team was, you know, filling up the Meadowlands. You would get twelve thousand a game for Fairfield. We're selling out the Rock. Well, let me let me give you some perspective here. Wagner 
is almost sold out. What is to perceive to be the opening night at, at Walsh. Walsh. At Walsh is still sold out. Still sold out. Stony Brook sold out to the general public. At Walsh. Michigan State, complete sellout. Upper Deck opened, complete potential 18,000 plus sellout. Maryland, Nova, upper level open, also pushing full building sellouts. And we talked about Maryland being in a dead zone in the middle of December after after finals is over and the holiday season's approaching and it's a Thursday night game, potential building sellout. You got the 100 level open for St. John's, Marquette, and Xavier. They're basically projecting 10,000 plus for games like Florida A&M. Florida A&M. What do you got for me now? I'm, I'm happy, that's great. This is this is all good stuff, but I'm I'm thinking it's two years too late. I'm thinking some of this stuff should have started happening a couple years ago. Uh, but I am happy that the fans are coming back out. But Mike, here's the question for you: the second exhibition doesn't sell out. Now I know it's Misericordia. I know it's a a, a weeknight. But you're talking about Walsh estimates had it at 80% full. That's a fickle fan base, Mike. How do you not just, you should be able to sell that out from just the crowd outside of the school. It's still a D3 team. Mesericordia. I mean, come on, it just doesn't resonate. You have got 20 some odd chances to see this team this year at home, whether it's at the Rock or it's Walsh. That is a very small amount of times. I think you're overblowing it. I mean, we have season ticket sales that are projected to be the highest they've been in probably the the program history. Potentially, you're you're selling out the lower bowl completely for ten thousand plus for no name uh, cupcake matchups at the Rock. You're going to have a packed house for all your marquee games. I, I don't think you can complain about this. But this is all about the casual fan that you were picking on me for just going on and on about this casual fan. You need that casual fan to drive the extra five to 8,000, you know, tickets sold. You need that season ticket holder to bring four or five other friends to be like, come watch this great team, but they're not going to come watch the great team. If they are fighting for a bubble spot, you're a top 10 team. People want to come watch it. It just, the hype matters is all I'm saying. Well, speaking about hype, Let's move on to the portion of the podcast I like to say, reporting about much ado about nothing. It's not much to do about nothing. I want this segment to be in today's podcast because it is relevant. I know that in your opinion, a player is not a member of this program until they signed on the dotted line, they passed their classes, and they suit up for their first practice. That's just not the way the college basketball landscape works. Recruiting is an integral component of being a part of the hype train, continually being in the top 25, and projecting for future years. And we have the potential for a guy on Monday to make an announcement that is on the same level as when Isaiah Whitehead announced. Mike, I agree with about 85% of what you just said. Yes, it's a big deal. Yes, we follow it. But this is why I don't agree with this. And this is why I'm giving you pushback. We potentially have an announcement on Monday. So for the fans that don't know what we're talking about, Earl Timberlake is rumored to be announcing where he will be going to school next year on his birthday, which happens to be November 4th. So by the time this drops, by the time you're listening to this, he might have already made an announcement. He hasn't put out a tweet. He hasn't put out an Instagram post saying, hey, Monday's the day. This is it. This is we're talking about something that's not even on a calendar right now, Michael. Can I give some more? Who is is Earl Timberlake? Tell me about Earl Timberlake. Get the fans excited. Thank you. Thank you. Right now. Oh, here we go. 
let me put this in perspective because this is not a nobody. This is not just the next name that's floating around. And look, you're right. He, he, he may come, he may not come, but he is a five-star small forward. He's ranked 35th in ESPN's rankings, 28th in 24-7 sports, and 26th on rivals. He comes out of DeMatha Catholic in Maryland and plays for Team Durant on the AAU circuit, which is one of the premier AAU teams. Why is it important that he comes from this DeMatha Catholic area and plays on Team Durant? Well, Tony Skin's supposed to be in this hotbed of D.C. Maryland recruiting. You got to land guys like this. We missed out on Darius Mannix. That was supposed to be one of his hot targets. Okay, if you're not going to land him, got to get the next guy. His AAU team. You know who his teammate is? Dominguez Stevens. Name ring a bell? Sure. He signed with us earlier this season. Okay. Something actually happened. Okay, but now we got his teammate. We got his teammate in his ear saying, come on down. That makes it relevant. He took official visits to Miami, South Carolina, Pittsburgh, Providence, and us. And he had North Carolina scheduled for his last visit, which to anybody who's following the recruiting trail, you're like, all right, those other names we could possibly hang with the other names on that list. You add North Carolina as the final visit, and that kind of paints a picture of if he likes it, he's going to North Carolina. But North Carolina basically recruited guys even higher than him on the list at his position, and I think he was turned off by that because he cancels his North Carolina visit, making us the last stop on his tour. To me, that's relevant, no? All this stuff is great, Mike, but we don't have an actual date of anything really uh, happening. I'll so, keep going. No, I'll keep going. Let's talk about the other rumors and facts. Since you like to work in this nebulous space of, of stuff that doesn't, doesn't really exist yet. So what are some of the things that are out there? Well, the South Carolina assistant coach Perry Clark is from DeMatha, so they might have an in here. Someone has said that a female family member loves themselves some Ed Cooley. And who mom. doesn't it's love mom. themselves it's some Ed Cooley? mom likes Ed Cooley. Every mom likes Ed Cooley. There have been many insiders predicting that Miami is going to be the destination. Not just many insiders. Corey Evans is a respected Rivals insider, and currently he's predicting Miami. But he also said he would not be shocked if he chose Providence. I, I get it. Where's Seton Hall in any of these any of this prognosis? I get it. It's, it's frustrating. So why are we why are we jumping to conclusions? Andre Crubello, also a four star guard, just announced the other day that he's choosing Illinois over Miami. So. You know, there's another reason why Miami now might be a little more interested in Timberlake. I get it. There's there's all this rumor all over the place, but we're in the mix. Everyone says that his recruitment has been very quiet and close to the vest relative to his decision. This is not like, oh, one website's got 100% Miami and we'd be lucky to get him. This is like a ball up in the air. It's anybody's game to get him. And this is a game-changing recruit. It just is. And the fact that you got people on, the, on Pittsburgh's website are re- reporting that since the early signing period's coming up, and the early signing period, it runs from the second Wednesday of November through the end of the third Wednesday of that month. That's the window. So if his birthday's on the fourth and the early signing window's coming up, you know, there's a lot of conjecture, but it makes logical sense that he would make the announcement, if not Monday, very, very soon. So it's not like we're on the hook here for another three months. I think there's a big decision coming and it might come on the eve of the season. Well, next week, we'll see who's right and who's wrong. That's it. Just poo-poo me. Move it aside. It's not news until they until the, the ink is dry for Tommy. No, it's not news until he said that I'm coming out on Monday and I'm going to announce where I'm going. So, so do I even tell you what plan B is if this doesn't work out or you can care less about that Please, as well? tell me plan B. Tell me this nebulous plan B of yours. Well, I, I like hype videos. You hate hype videos. So if you go and watch Timberlake's highlight video, this kid's a stud. I mean, the moves he, he makes and the body type that he has, you're impressed 
I'm going to give you another name, Matthew Alexander Moncrief, Orangeville Prep. Why does that sound familiar to you? I believe that's where our boy Tyree Samuel's from. Very good. So he's another class of 2020, 6'7", small forward slash power forward. And I'm telling you, go watch that kid's video. I think he's just as good, if not better, than Timberlake. And here's where I'll get excited. I think you have to have momentum. I think if they land a player like Timberlake, I know everyone says they'll be out of scholarships, but things have a way of working themselves out. We're not going to drop names, but Moncrief has announced or indicated that he's going to make his announcement towards the back half of the spring recruiting period. At that point, we might have another spot open. Now I get excited. Now I'm getting a little greedy. We haven't even played a ball game this year, and I'm thinking Timberlake. Moncrief, keep the momentum going. We, got- you, you know, the, there's been some crazy talent coming out of Canada these years. It's been like a hotbed recently. So why can't we have a pipeline? You know, if, if Samuels comes and he gets PT this year and things go well and he's like, hey, come play with me. All of a sudden we got connections in Maryland. We got connections in Canada. Why can't we actually have a solid recruiting pipeline? Right. Tell the Canadian kids it's a lot warmer in South Orange than it is up in Canada. Come on down. Enjoy the tropical gonna, weather. I, I am not going to get you to buy into all this hype. All right. So, Michael, right. the things that are actually going to happen this week. Wagner with the former Pirate Donald Copeland as their assistant coach comes in this week. They're going to be our initial game on a regular season schedule. This feels like an exhibition game. I told you that. They, they were, they're picked preseason NEC 9 out of the 11 programs. They are projected early on in Ken Palm's ratings at 335 at a possible 353. They, they lost three of their top scorers from last year's roster to graduation. And in that season with those top three scorers, they went 13 and seven. They lost 64% of their total scoring off their roster. If they lose this game, it'll be a travesty. <laughs> Speaking of travesties, after Wagner's done, Stony Brook rolls in. Stony Brook was 24-9 and last year. That was good enough for second in the AEC. They had five players almost average double figures last year, but they've lost two of them. Their leading scorer from last year transferred to Rutgers of all places to follow his former coach, Steve Peichel. Currently, they're led by junior Elijah Olanihi, who scored 12 points last year and grabbed six boards. And he's making a homecoming of sorts as he's from Eastside High School in Newark. Right, they so, did so, have wins at George Washington, South Carolina last year to open the season. Very good. That that was going to be my takeaway is don't sleep on Stony Brook. You know, it's not a power conference, but, you know, they've been pretty respectable when they make a NCAA tournament. The school that comes out of there is typically somewhere around like a 13 or 14 seed. They're not a bottom field, you know, playing game type school. They're projected to be a Ken Palm 228 at a 353. That's about, you know, 100 spots. Spots more than we just said Wagner was. They're a little more respectable. They're they're always top of that conference. Just don't sleep on Stony Brook. The last time that we played them, they came into Walsh Gym under Peichel in the NIT. This goes back a ways, but Jordan Theodore and Hope Pro first round of the NIT at Walsh, and they pushed us down to the limit in that game. So, I mean, just don't sleep on Stony Brook. This is not as much of an exhibition game as probably the first one. But by next week, Michael, we should be talking about how we're 2-0 and and getting prepped for Michigan State, no? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think you'd be really disappointed if the numbers don't shake out any other way. Uh, it's going to be a couple angry podcasts. <laughs> I don't really see any other way around it. You have to take care of business in these first two games and hopefully put the foundation in place for your rotation, make sure nobody gets hurt. Hopefully guys are also finding out what their roles are in preparation for that Michigan State game because talked about it with Carino. Michigan State already has their acid test against Kentucky. So we're we're still we're still tuning up. Let's just hope it's enough. Well, Michael, <laughs> but the one thing that does start this week is the countdown to 2494. Yes, 
That's the amount of points that Terry DeHair has as the all-time leading Seton Hall scoring leader. Is this really going to be your crusade the entire year? This is going to be. You know what? This is something we should follow. I, I, you know, I don't think it happens. 800, and this has got nothing to do with the talent that Miles Powell has. 831 is a lot of points. It's a boatload of points to go through. But let's track it. What the heck? Can, can we like count down from 25? I want to see like 25 wins before the NCAA tournament to kind of bolster our seating. That's more important to me than Miles' scoring record. It'll be fun to follow, but it's not something we should be tracking Mike, with like Mike, a key knife throughout when, the year. When, Mike, no, no, that is. Correct, Mike. Let me tell you something. As a freshman at Seton Hall, when Terry DeHair was on track to break the record, we were following it. It was still exciting. And as long as the team can stay successful and Miles plays within the team concept, then we should definitely track it. We, we've said that probably the more points Miles scores, the less successful the team's going to be in general. But if the team's winning and he's scoring 25 points a game, when, when did Terry speed. break the record? Did Terry break the record during Biggie's play in the regular season? Yes or no? I believe Terry broke the. I believe Terry broke the record against St. John's. Yes, I believe okay. so. So, so here's here's my point. a long well, time ago, Mike. You put I, me I on the spot. I, it was. It was during Biggie's play. I wanted you to just admit, I got to get one in my check column for the for this podcast here. So the point is, you can track something that's going to happen throughout the course of the season anyway, and not have a specific impact on the end result, which is the bigger prize of advancement in the NCAA tournament. Team accolades. In order for Miles to break the record, we did the breakdown before, he's going to have to break the record sometime deep in the NCAA tournament. And at that point, I don't care about the countdown. I care, is Seton Hall going to advance the next round of the tournament? Can they make it to the Final Four, the Sweet 16? Whatever the next milestone is, that's going to be the goal for the team, and it's not going to be about the countdown You're of the record. You're killing me, Mike. You know, you care about Sorry. some, some announcement that may or may not happen on Monday, November 4th, but you don't care about actual baskets going in the hole. Tom, you want something to anticipate? You want something to look forward to the women's basketball team is just as hype as the men's basketball team this year they were picked third in the preseason polls for the big east they have the preseason player of the year this next segment is going to be a lot of fun we have coach tony bazella to come on the podcast and kind of give a little more depth about his team his roster where he thinks they're going to project out i'm excited to kind of get some more knowledge about the women's team we always focus on the men this is a pretty cool segment we have coming up he was a 1989 seton hall university graduate entering his seventh year at the hall 27th year overall coaching previously coached at southampton liu brooklyn and iona he led seton hall university to postseason tournaments in five of his first six years including the first trip to the ncaa's in 20 years was named the 2015 biggies coach of the year maggie dixon division one coach of the year and guided the hall to its first regular season biggies title in program history Welcome to Left Coast Pirates Live, the coach of the Seton Hall University women's basketball team, Tony Bazella. Coach, how are you this evening? Good, Tom. How are you guys tonight? Doing well, coach. Thanks for joining the show. Must be an exciting time around campus in terms of basketball and Seton Hall University. The men's team was obviously picked to finish first in the preseason Big East polls. But on top of that, your women's team was also picked to finish third overall. Give me the outlook for what you think your squad can do. Mike, first of all, I'd like to thank you and Tom and uh, for having me on. It's, it's a real privilege and a real honor. Um, as, as a fellow alum, this is really you know exciting for me uh, to talk about you know our school. And uh, uh, the honor our is all fans. ours, Coach. We thank you. We um we're excited for the year. Um, we feel this is one of the most talented teams we've had, and in, in now my seventh year here. Um, 
obviously, you know, we have the preseason player of the year and Shadeen Samuels, but a lot of other really talented um, returnees and newcomers. We feel this is a, a team that can definitely contend for the Big East Championship. I mean, that's our goal. You know, we have the talent. Um, you know, six to ten games are going to be tied with five minutes to go, and you got to win them. And, um, you know, we're preparing as much as we can for this. And um, I know the girls are excited to start our regular season on Wednesday. So you do feel we have a chance to challenge the DePauls and St. John's of the conference for top spot? Without a doubt, Tom. I, I feel this team is every bit as talented as any team in the league. Um, we've got to play together, defend, and, and play the way we play. And if we do that, I, there's no question that, you know, our goal of winning a Big East championship, you know, and winning a regular season title for the second time in seven years is right there. How would you kind of compare this team to that team back in 2014 that actually did win the Big East regular season title? That's a really good comparison. I mean, you know, I will say, you know, Dee Simmons is back with me on staff. I wish she was back with me on the floor, but, uh, but um, she, she, you know, she was our, our point guard there. Her and Deja Simmons uh, were honorable mention All-Americans. Um, we had Tab Richardson Smith as a junior that um, could really score. Um, we had tremendous, tremendous shooting power forward that really developed in Janae Johnson. Our center, Chisabay Equity, we really just did a great job. So we had, we, had, we had tremendous scoring. We had three players average over 17 a game. You know, I, I think this team's a little different, probably not quite as talented. I mean, we had three, you know, arguably kids that had a great chance to be drafted on that team. Another person in Janae Johnson who played overseas, um, still playing in Australia. I compare this team really to our third, my third-year team, the team that got not large and finished second in the Big East. This team is very similar. We have uh, transfers like we had then. We have uh, great depth, which um, we have never had as, as, as much as we do now. And we have a bunch of kids that can score the ball like on, that, on, on, on both those teams. I, I think chemistry, you know, playing together, these kids seem to get along very well right now. Um, but when we get into, you know, a rough patch, and are we going to pull ourselves through? Um, I, I hope so. I, I think these kids have great character, and um, I think they really want to win. I, I really believe that. Well, you mentioned Shadeen Samuels earlier in your conversation. She had a breakout junior season. She was first-team All-Big East. She was most improved player on top of that. She actually increased her scoring by almost 12 points a game uh, within the conference itself and won the Big East scoring title. Did you envision her making that kind of jump from her sophomore year to her junior year? That's a really good question. And, and you know, what I love about your show is the research you guys do, and, and I appreciate it. Um, you knowing that about Shadeen. Um, you know, she, the kid averaged four points a game as a freshman, eight points a game as a sophomore, like you referenced, and 20 points a game as a junior. I, I just saw a lot of maturity and growth from her from her sophomore to junior year. Um, she's obviously that mature now. Um, I do think she's got different parts of her game that she can raise. She's shooting the ball really well. Um, her ball handling has gotten a lot better. She's really going into the block a little bit more than she used to. Um, so I think she might not even score 20 games. We have so many scores. She Maybe she scores 17, 18 a game. But she's just going to be so much more of a complete all-around player. And then her defense. I really thought she was Defensive Player of the Year last year. Statistics don't tell what she really does. She guards the other team's best player, whether it's a guard or a forward. And she really knows how to compete um, on the defensive end. Um, she's tremendous at anticipating uh, steals and, and getting rebounds. But I think her overall game will improve. While statistically you might not see it, I think overall she will improve. So I want to ask a quick follow-up question because you mentioned that you think she might actually go backwards in her scoring. And Tom and I talk about this in relation to the men's team and Miles Powell. Everybody wants to see Miles take it to the next level with his 23 points a game. But we agree that for the men's team to be more successful, Miles probably would score less 
and the team would do better holistically. It sounds like you feel the same way about Shadeen. 100%. And, you know, I, I, I've been at Seton Hall for a long time, like, like you guys have. And, you know, you, you look at Terry and uh, DeHair and John Morton, and, you know, you look at the great scorers. But, you know, their game really got well-rounded, at, you know, in, in their senior years as well. And I see that in Miles. And, you know, not to go track with the men, but I, I watch the men practice a lot. And Miles is really becoming a complete player. I mean, distributing the ball, working hard on the defensive end, handling the ball even better than he has. So I do. I could see his numbers going down, but scoring-wise, but really getting other people even more involved. And that's what Shadeen is really good at. She's an unselfish player. She's a really great team player. I I think you'll see, you know, like I said, her assists go up, maybe a steal go up, and you'll see our team points to go up, go up. I think we we're about 30th or 35th in the country in scoring last year. I think we'll be top 20 in the scoring this year, and Shadeen could average less points. Well, she's racking up the preseason accolades. She was chosen as Big East Preseason Player of the Year, as we mentioned previously. She's also on the Cheryl Miller Award watch list. And Seton Hall fans can help her candidacy by jumping on that website and voting. They can go to hoophallawards.com slash women slash vote dot php and vote for Shadeen. Now she's getting a whole lot of exposure similar to Miles. Do you think this increases the pressure or will this drive her forward? A great question. And you know, I sat down with her actually today about that a little bit. And just for her to be herself. I mean, there's no more pressure this year than there's ever been just play in fact i think they should be less she's playing with some tremendous veteran players that have been in the program now for a, a multitude of years and uh you know she's she, she should be comfortable and you know she's going to get respect um on the floor hopefully from the officials and 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 her teammates for sure just go out and play. I, I do. I, I do see her pressing a little bit in our first scrimmage. I thought she pressed a little bit. And then, you know, in the exhibition game, I think she got back to herself. And um, I, I think she's just ready to explode right now. She had a really good practice today. And uh, she's feeling healthier as each day goes on. So, Coach, I want to talk about some of those teammates. Unfortunately, the team lost two of its top three scorers from the 2018-19 roster. But Desiree Elmore, who's a junior now, did receive preseason All-Big East honors. How much do you think you need her to step up and support Samuels? You know, Mike, she's coming in great shape. Um, she's one of the fittest players on the team now. She runs the floor well. She looks like a guard. She handles it great. Um, I'm expecting a big year out of her. Um, you know, will her scoring go up? I, I think without a doubt. But more importantly, she's much more active on the defensive end. She's going to probably get eight to ten rebounds a game now. Um, add another steal to her. Add probably another assist or two assists because of the shape she's in. She's running the floor, handling the ball better. I mean, I think she's just going to explode. I, I really do. Um, I think she's in a great mental state. I think she's comfortable with the offense and what we're about. I, I really am excited for Des. I, I do. Uh, she's a great kid, um, works hard, um, you know, and, 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 and has gotten herself into, you know, shape to, to be, you know, an all-conference player. And, then um, you know, I, I'm really excited for her. I really am. Well, we always joke saying that, you know, you always have to have that Batman and Robin duo to kind of support the offense. But having a team that's as well-rounded as possible and showing depth, that kind of really is what drives success in the long term. What other players do you see playing significant roles or increased roles? And, and what, will, what will be their, their capacity in, in those roles? I think we have two other players that are clearly all-conference ability players. Um, um, one, Barbara Johnson. She's a transfer from 
um, Ole Miss through uh, Chipola Junior College, where she was a uh, junior college honorable mention All-American. She sat out last year, and um, the Cole Jimenezes, the Katie Healy's, the Victoria Dedanches, um, the Inya Butinas, the four kids who graduated, set a certain tone of how hard you have to play and how hard you have to run. Well, Barbara came in and really followed their lead, and she worked hard and practiced against them all year last year, and she looks phenomenal right now. I mean, if you were to tell me Barbara would be you know, one of the top three, four players in the league, Barbara Johnson, I wouldn't be shocked. Um, she could shoot it, drive it. She's got a great frame, um, you know, understands her strengths, um, works hard every day. Um, she worked hard from the day she got here against those kids to every day now. She stays after every day after practice. And I think Barbara Johnson won't cut five players in the league. I really do. And she'll play um, uh, off guard for us. And I think Alexis Lewis, and I've been blessed to coach some great shooters in my, in my career, including a bunch of them last year in uh, Victoria and, and Cole. Um, but but Alexis is as good as anyone I've ever coached. I mean, she shoots three-pointers like it's nothing. She's 5'10". She's got a great um, skill around the basket, great touch. Um, shoots it from 25 feet. Um, I, I think, you know, she's effortlessly. In, in our exhibition game the other day, she had four threes in the first quarter like it was nothing. And then, you know, got in a little foul trouble and rested her. But, I mean, if you're telling me she's going to have games of 25, 30 points, I'm going to be like, absolutely. She's she's really good. She got a lot better, and she's really good. Those four kids do a ton for us. And then you had a kid like Selena Filoxi who returns, the third-leading rebounder in the league last year, and um, is really, you know, getting herself into much better – fitness and much better shape as we get closer to games and uh she had a tremendous practice today um she played real well in our exhibition game and our inner sports tournament. and i mean our, our close scrimmage against boston college um so we're excited for her she's a great passer which will set those other kids up and then you know we, a couple of our freshmen are doing real well too so so we really love the depth but we really love the overall talent it's not just depth it's, it's overall talent well you mentioned the scrimmage against boston college uh, you reportedly won 86 to 67. Now, Shadeen only played six minutes. Are there any concerns over a reported knee injury that'll limit her action? No, in that game, she was really, really like tight before the game and she just couldn't get loose. So she played and she didn't feel right. She didn't look right out there. And we were just like, listen, you know, she was aggravated with us that, that, that she couldn't play, but we, we, you know, we wanted to be safe and, you know, like you got to be a little cautious. Um, so it was a great opportunity for other kids to play. And, and I think it really showed, you know, our overall depth in that game and our overall conditioning in that game. Because, you know, you're playing without your, your, your best player to still be able to put up 86 points and, 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 uh, and, and, and against, uh, you know, an ACC team. That, that, that was really, you know, good for us. And uh, I was really pleased with the other girls. But she played, she's fine now. She, she played well in the exhibition game. And um, she, she's, she, she's as close to 100% as she's going to be for a while. Well, you know, Mike and I actually like to watch any kind of Seton Hall basketball we can. And during the summer when the team was in Italy, we were trying to figure out what they were trying to work on. So, Coach, what do you like to work on during these types of games? Pace. You know, our pace, Tom, has got to be high end. We, we want to get up and down the floor. We want to run the entire game. It's all about pace and spacing. All I will talk to our girls about 80% of the time is pace and spacing. Um, our former uh, Seton Hall Final Four a male um, member, Jose Ribimbas, has been the architect of our offense, and he's done a great job instilling a lot of different sets and a lot of different uh, things for us. And we you know, focus on that one main thing, space and pacing. Play ball. 
Get up and down the floor. Get the ball out of the basket quick if they score. If they don't, let's run the ball up and down the floor as quickly as I can. So in these two games, it's about spacing. I mean, uh, Boston College, you know, like you said, we had mid-80s and, you know, the last couple – I don't think we scored the last three, four minutes. And the same thing last night. I think we had close to 100 and uh, didn't score one basket the last five minutes of the game. So our pace is what we want. So we get good shots, and our pace is just to wear them down. It might not wear our opponent down in the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, but by the fourth quarter, there's not too many teams in one's basketball that can keep up with our pace. So you're correct, Coach. In the, in the last exhibition against Jefferson, final score 98-54. Five players finishing double figures. This is what was interesting to me. Desiree Elmore had a double-double, but she came off the bench. Is, is that a role that you want to kind of put her in, or is that just you tinkering with the lineup that day? Well, she was sick that week, so she had been starting. So, you know, but I'll tell you, the way she played off the bench and, and, and our one freshman, Maya Jackson, that started off the, uh, at the off guard, she just defended so well early in the game. It might be just a way for us to get, you know, a better rotation and, and, and stuff. But, that you know, whether that starts or plays off the bench, she's still going to play, you know, certainly starters minutes. I mean, there's no question. She, you know, she's one of our top, top players. I, I just got to figure out a good rotation for these kids um, where we just aren't putting, you know, maybe our just four best scorers on the floor, but let's get some good defenders in there. Let's get some, get some a few more distributors in there. So I'm, I'm just playing with it, balancing it a little bit. You know, it just gives us a, you know, we didn't start Selena either. And she led the, you know, she's third in the league in rebounding. So, you know, it's just, it was just matchups. And it's just, you know, what we think it just figures out best for that day. Well, you mentioned Maya at the two guard. I, I want to, you know, switch over to the point guard position. You actually have freshman Laura Park Lane. She started, had ten assists and no turnovers. How was encouraging was that? My uh, my my new assistant uh, uh, Pete Sanella said to me, he "Goes, you know, Tony, I bet you in the last five years in men's or women's basketball, you can't find a freshman in her first game to get ten assists and no turnovers." And I said, "Pete, you're probably, you're, you're right." I got to tell you, I don't, and we played a a full scholarship division two basketball team that was 29 and three last year. Now they lost a couple of kids, so they're not as strong, but this isn't some, you know, lower level team that we play. This team is going to win 18, 22 games. And while it's division two, it's still a competitive team. And I cannot tell you the last time I had, I, I remember someone getting tennis, no turnovers. I mean, she plays under control. She's fast. She's fearless. She's borderline cocky out there, but she understands her role. We took her off the number one AAU team in the country when she played. And she played with four, basically, AAU All-Americans. And that's why we took her. Because we were like, this kid's got the understanding that who she's playing with is most important. And she understood what she's doing. And uh, she's been great. I mean, she looks to get better every day. But I'm really, really pleased with her development. Her and Maya have really, like, really been, you know, well above freshman ability for sure. It's probably hard to pick holes in a game that you win by 44 points, but but I'm going to try to take a shot here. Was there oh, any yeah. overall concern that the team only got to the free throw line 10 times and Jefferson got there 23? Mike, that's exactly what we talked about. You know, stop settling for threes, stop settling, you know, for certain things. You got to, because of our pace, you're going to get teams fatigued. Why let them settle in and why let them just relax by just taking jump shots? You need to drive it at them. Barbara Johnson alone should have gotten six to eight times to the line. Desiree Elmore should have gotten six to eight times to the line. Shadeen should have gotten six. We should have gotten 30 foul shots in that game. And that was a huge concern. That, I will also tell you, we did not win our 
you know, we talk, we have loose balls and get to the floor. We did not win that bad in this game. And I was disappointed in that. And I made that, I am a very transparent coach. I made that crystal clear to the girls. If we're going to win a championship, those are two stats that we have to be really good at. So in the locker room after a game like this, are you kind of hitting on those issues and being more critical and judgmental to not kind of let them feel too good about themselves? Or are you kind of, you know, basking in the glory of the 44-point win? One of the things I learned, um, you know, especially taking over some of the programs I've taken over, is hard to win. It, it is, you know, um, you know, we, we, we struggled for a little bit before we got here, um, you know, with winning. And if we can win, we, we're just happy. That day, I never say anything about other than way to go, congratulations, you know, blah, blah. But I made it clear at 830 the following morning in film what, what we wanted. Now, Coach, outside of Lauren Park Lane, you also have four other freshmen on the roster. Tell us something about the new faces that the fans will get to see in pirate uniform this year. You know, Tom, Maya Jackson's just been phenomenal. Um, like I said, started in the exhibition game and started in the scrimmage. She just plays real hard. Her, her dad's a football coach. Her dad holds her accountable. She understands accountability. She understands toughness. She's done an amazing, amazing job of just coming in every single day and working hard. And she's going to play significant minutes both at the point and at the two guards. Um, we're really excited for her. She shoots the ball really well. I, I, I love her. She's going to be one of the next stars at Seton Hall. Um, she really is. I, I, I'm, I'm really excited for McKenna Hostile. She's just been really banged up and injured. She's got, uh, she holds a Minnesota State record for points in the game for 64. So she can really score and really – you know, is there a mercurial point guard, uh, you know, passes the ball well. Just, But, you know, she's been really banged up. She's going to be out a, a few more weeks with an ankle injury that she got in high school and just never, never got better. So, fortunately, we have a great training staff and great doctors. They diagnose what they have to do to fix it. And, uh, you know, we're expecting her to be full strength probably in three, four weeks. But um, she's a good player. She, she really is. I really love Victoria Keenan's ability to score the ball. Um, she's just from 25 feet effortlessly she's smart she's um athletic she's got a great handle um she just never has played against in high school in au against the level of kids that lauren park lane has played against or maya jackson or mckenna so she's adjusting but she's getting better every day i'm excited and the kid kayla harris is um going to be one of the she will end her career with over a thousand points over 500 rebounds and i will tell you that no matter what her numbers are this year she's playing behind some great players She's a big, strong kid, uh, works hard, smart, was banged up in the summer, so she was a little behind. But she'll help us this year in some games, but she's going to be a force starting next year for sure. Now, looking at the roster, what I found really interesting was that more than half of your team is outside the traditional surrounding states that usually feed Seton Hall players. I think you've got eight players from outside that tri-state area, including two players from Florida. What do you attribute your recruiting success to? You know, um, we have a great staff. I mean, my recruiting coordinator has been with me forever. Uh, she played for me for four years at Iona. Uh, worked for me for three years at Iona, and now she's you know, in her seventh year. Um, she's got a lot of connections. Um, my other assistant, Marissa Flagg, knows everyone. She's a New York City kid. Um, she played for me at, at Iona for five years, and then has been with me now for all seven years at, at Seton Hall. She knows a lot of different people. And then, you know, our, our third assistant was Nick uh, DePillo, who did a good job, and now is the head coach at Scranton. Um, and now it'll be Jose. And, and you know, Jose's got his share connections, too. I, I, I think... You know, one of the things that we do is we recruit very hard in the local area. But, you know, we don't 
have as much success because a lot of times these girls want to go away and and, and um you know where our our conference was ranked sixth in the um yeah, out of all the conferences while the men you know was ranked one or two so you know they they have maybe a little better of an opportunity to get those kids you know right out of high school but we recruit them and we get a lot of them on the bounce back as you can see we have a lot of transfers Desiree Elmore's a transfer Alexis Lewis is a transfer you know um, Barbara Johnson's a transfer so we get a lot of these high level kids on transfers coming back but we also sell um Seton Hall because Seton Hall is a great internship program and great programs for both local and far away kids and we have a great connection down in Florida. Um, you know, we'll add a few more kids from Florida next year. Um, we're excited about, you know, and uh, we just look everywhere. We have, we, we just, you know, um, McKenna from Minnesota, you know, she just, we had two other kids from Minnesota um, and that, that played for us. She heard of us then. And then, you know, we recruited her really hard and we, you know, we sold Seton Hall. We try and sell the people. We show the area. But, you know, we also play in the Midwest, you know, half our games. So, um, you know, we try and, you know, sell both of those things. Coach, I want to stick with the recruiting focus for a, a second or two more. The women's game mm-hmm. allows you to have 15 scholarship athletes where the men's side is only 13. How does that kind of make things more difficult in terms of recruiting and coaching, trying to keep 15 scholarship players content with their roles? It's much more difficult. And one of the things that, you know, unfortunately this year we have 16 because – we have, we have a, a walk-on who's really a scholarship-worthy player. And it's not what we want. We would prefer to have 11 or 12 ready players and use the other scholarships for transfers. I think women's basketball, you know, I don't want to get into the whole, you know, diatribe on this, whatever word you want to use, but we should only have 10 to 12 scholarships. We don't have as many talented players as the men. And um, we're, 15 is allowing too many schools to stockpile. It's allowing too many kids to choose schools um, like a BCS school because it's a BCS school as opposed to going to the place you really should go to, and it's, it's caused a lot of it's causing a lot of issues. And it's caused we have almost as many transfers as the men do. You know, people you know that don't know the women's game. You know, like wow, I can't believe you know this kid transferred that kid. Kids transfer all the time because one, there's so many scholarships now out there. These BCS schools are are are, are picking kids off or just taking kids because well, I got 15 and I was well stockpile three kids if they leave they leave i'll just go get three more if it was 10 to 12 you'd have less transfers you'd have kids staying put and you'd have better overall talent um you know i i don't like having all my kids eligible right now i i hate it now i do have two kids injured um and um and i might redshirt another kid so we might only be playing with 12 or 13 but ideally i only want to have 11 or 12 eligible players and use the other ones for transfers um i don't like it i think it's way too many and i think it hurts our game a lot so you beat me to it i mean we're seeing this transfer epidemic all across college basketball men's game i I see a lot of turnover with the teams on the women's side as well i mean it sounds like we got your opinion but how do we fix it is it it truly just shortening the roster or do we change the rules themselves of how you can or cannot transfer i think there's a there's few few things I'll, i'll touch on quickly one, um, we have way too uh, much early contact with these kids. Like, we don't need to be talking to these kids as freshmen and sophomores. In in women's soccer, and, and I think men's soccer, but I know in women's soccer, you can't offer a kid till she's a junior. Well, that that's good because now you're not putting all the pressure on these kids so early. On our level, we got all these BCS schools, especially offering these kids as freshmen and sophomores in high school. Well, girls develop and change a lot, and 
that's a problem. The, the, the access is too early for us. It really is. Secondly, you know, the, the amount of scholarships is way too many. There's, we don't need that. Now, I'm not saying, oh, I know there's gender equity in Title IX. Other sports can take them. I mean, you're looking at, you know, soccer that has, uh, you know, 12 scholarships for 30 kids or, or softball that has 10. Like, I also want to get more women coaches in the game. So take, go from 15 to 12 scholarships, take two of the scholarships, and, and every school should have grad assistants. And it should be a former women's basketball player that's a grad assistant. And now you're getting more younger women getting a chance to have their master's and see what coaching's like for two years. So maybe they go into the coaching profession or maybe they don't. But at least you're giving more females an opportunity to coach. And that's what we need to do. We need more female role models. We, you know, we're fortunate. We have two in Dee Simmons and Denasia Grant that are great role models. They're younger, you know, females. And, and, and we have those, you know, positions at Seton Hall, thankfully, because of our great administration. But that's another way to solve that problem. Uh, I, I do. And, and I, I think we have to because, you know, we're up to seven, eight hundred women basketball players transferring a year. That's, a, that's ridiculous. Well, moving on to the schedule, Coach, we noticed a really big matchup coming to Walsh Gym on December 5th against UConn. What other non-conference matchups should Hall fans highlight on their calendar this year? Uh, we, have, we have a bunch, but but I'll touch on the UConn one quickly. You know, Coach Oriyama has been a great friend of mine. When I was a Division II head coach and I sat next to him, he talked to me like I was the Tennessee head coach. He could care less. He he's taught me. He's he's guided me. And um, they contacted us last year and was just like, "Listen, you know, we're having trouble getting games against quality opponents. Would you like to play us? You know, a lot of people don't want to play us." And I said, "Sure, I, you know, we'll play, but we want to do it as a home and home." I said, "Gene's like, well, I hate playing there. It's so loud." <laughs> and I'm like, "You're great, exactly." I said, "Well, you know." I, but he was like, no, Johnny, of course. I said, I appreciate that because, you know, we want to raise awareness to women's basketball in, in our area and in our gym. And, and you know, it, it helps in a variety of ways. So um, he agreed. And then when I saw him this summer, I said, you know, you're a pain in the neck. I never would have played if I knew you were coming to my league. I said, I got to play all the time. <laughs> he started laughing. But, but um, you know, he's a great guy. And, and he's a really great ambassador to the game. He didn't try to strong arm you into like a two-for-one, two at their place, only one of <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I should, I should have strong wanted him to two games in our place and one for him. But I got him every year now after this, so so we're excited for that. But you know, we have Princeton coming in. Um, Mark Allery played at Duke, and I'm not sure, but I'm not sure if he played against us in the '89 Final Four, if he was on that team or not. But um, he was a great player. Well, his daughter is one of the top players in the country. She she was on the um under 21 or under 20 Olympic team. She's unbelievable. Six to three, shoots the ball well. Going to be a WNBA draft choice. We have them on um, um, on December. We have them on the fifteenth. So that's going to be a great game. Um, you know, it's a, it's a special day for Seton Hall. It's our investor of our our, our, our newest president, Dr. Joseph Meyer, who I had the pleasure of uh, knowing at Iona. He's going to be a, he's a tremendous leader. He's got great vision. He's going to take Seton Hall to new levels. So that's a big day. We're going to honor him that day, and then we're going to have a, a great game with Princeton that night, which is will be like a almost a top 25 matchup. Um, even if we're not ranked, we both are top 25 teams. Um, we have Virginia Commonwealth coming to our, our in, into our gym that Tuesday before on, on the 12th. They're picked first in the A-10 almost unanimously. So that'll be a great, great test for us. I, you know, I tried to put together a, a similar schedule to how the men put together their schedule last year um, where they were tested. You know, they got a Kentucky, they got um, 
you know, but they got some other really good teams um, that they played. And some of them they beat, and some of them they didn't. But, you know, we're not going to beat everyone on an on-league schedule. We played Georgia Tech um, in the Bahamas, and then we'll play the, hopefully the winner of Vanderbilt Rutgers. Um, so that, that, that'll be a great test. Um, we have Lehigh, which is picked first in the Patriot League. Um, so, you know, even, you know, going back to Iona for my two former players who are on my staff now, you know, it's a little bit of a homecoming. We start to have a, a great crowd that day. A lot of my former alum players and alumni there are coming. Um, so it'll, it'll be, we have some great tests ahead of us. And, and, and even St. Joe's from the A-10 there, they're a tough physical team. You know, similar to what the men did. The men had, you know, tested themselves. A bunch of teams. They won some games, didn't win some other games, but put them in a position to get in that large, and that's what we want to do. Now, Coach, you mentioned UConn coming back to the Big East. What does bringing a national powerhouse like that do for the conference next year from your perspective? I, I think it's going to be tremendous. Um, right now, we're ranked sixth. Um, that, that's what we are, the five BCS leagues, um, the Power Five. Um, I don't call them the Power Five. I call them the Football Five. Um, their leagues, and then us. So, you know, and that's that's great. You know, it's it's hard for us to get much much higher until we added a, a power like UConn. Now we've added arguably the greatest uh, college basketball program in the history of, of women's college basketball. So we've added them. I think it's going to raise that. It's going to give us more opportunities for at-larges. It's going to give us more opportunities for publicity. I mean, there's nothing better than when UConn goes and plays, you know, Oregon or, or Tennessee, and it's going to say, you know, UC- University of Connecticut from the Big East. Like I said, one of the things I know about Coach Oriemba, anytime he has a chance to talk about the league, he talks about the league. He doesn't talk about himself. He talks about the league. That's the type of person he is. And um, we're, uh, we're, we should be super excited to have them in. Yeah, it's going to be a bigger challenge for us. It's going to probably enable us to hold maybe the kids a little more accountable. Be like, listen, if you're going to box out like this, you're never going to you know, be able to get a rebound against Connecticut. And you know, be able to u- utilize certain things and really have them focus. But it also give us a more of a idea in terms of, you know, recruiting, uh, you know, make us more aware of everything and stuff like that. So I, I'm just excited. My ex-boss, Pat Lyon, said, um, higher tides raise all boats. Well, you know what? UConn's a higher tide, so they're going to raise all of us. So, Coach, if, if we bring you on again to start next season, and I ask you the same question of can you challenge for the conference title, how does UConn change that answer? Yeah, well, that, that's a different answer, you know. I mean, we're gonna say, we're gonna, we're, 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 yeah, I'm very, you know, I'm very transparent, very realistic. We're we're, we're gonna challenge for not large bits for sure, and uh, you know, we would have developed even better players and been able to even recruit, you know, as talented players as ever because of having UConn in our league. Well, coach, before we let our guests leave, we make them walk the plank. We ask you five rapid fire questions. We're looking for five rapid fire answers. Are you ready? I am ready. All right, here we go. Question number one, greatest win you've ever had as a coach. Oh boy, that, that's great. That, that's a fantastic question. Um, when we won the Big East regular season championship, we were down nine points to Butler with um, under a minute to go. And we came back and won that game to uh, clinch a tie for the Big East championship. Um, it was an amazing comeback. Our kids never gave up. And uh, it was, it was, it was, it was, it's surreal to this day. Question number two, biggest rival that you've ever had it as a team to go up against. When I was at Iona Marist and it was a team we could never beat. And um, we lost to them six times in the Mac playoffs to be in the, in the semifinals and three in the finals. And I really believe that we would have six Mac championships without them. Um, you know, but he, he won 10 in a row and, uh, 
six of the times he had to go through us. So, um, you know, it's a big rival. I played him at St. at Seton Hall. We finally beat him, but Coach George is a good friend of mine, and it's a, it's a big rival. Our rival here at St. John's. I mean, I have so much respect for their program. We go against a lot. You know, we recruit a lot of similar players, but we've had some great games with them, and we'll continue to have some. What is the biggest rival that you've gone up against from a coaching perspective? Um, from a coaching perspective, I, I I would say you know you know both those those two schools. You know, the Pauls become a good rivalry too. You know, the the, the Pauls only probably in, in in the six years we've been in the league probably lost about twenty five games, and you know we we beat them four times. Um, in, in league and, you know, and, and basically almost had a 500 record against them in, in the league. So that says a lot about us. You know, Coach Bruno um, is an amazing coach in my mind and an amazing program builder. And we've tried to follow a lot of his lead right now. And I think we're getting there slowly but surely. We're nowhere near him, but our, our ideas and our, our way we're trying to play is, 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 is the Polish. Toughest road environment, in your opinion? Oh, in, in our league, well, clear, clear, clearly it'll be Connecticut, but when we go to St. John's, that's always tough. We do bring a lot of fans there, um, you know, th- th- those two games. And when we go to Creighton, Creighton in our league has, has a very um, rabid, um, enthusiastic fan base. And when we go there, you know you're going to go against fans that know the game and make it very difficult for you to, to play against. All right, Coach, last question. It's always a tough one to put you in the hot seat on, but one of my favorites Best player you've ever coached? Yeah, I've, I've coached a, a lot of them, um, and uh, I've had a lot of great ones. And so I've had a lot of success. I, I would tell you that the, the young lady I have on my staff, um, Kadija Simmons, um, she's only not only the best player I've ever coached; she's one of the best people. She, she's an amazing young woman, uh, young woman, um, a Hall of Famer. Um, when she asked to come on the staff this year, I was speechless. Um, she was a great player, a great competitor, a great leader. Um, I've had some so many great ones, you know. Um, it's just it, it. I've been blessed. Demica Martinez is the all-time leading scorer in Mac history. Joy Adams is the second or third all-time leading scorer and first all-time leading rebounder. Two great players at Iona. You know, I've had Deja Simmons here at Seton Hall. Um, Tabitha Richardson Smith here at Seton Hall. I mean, you you you, you don't get too many players. Um, Shakina Richardson, one of the all-time greatest point guards I've ever coached. You, know, you don't get those kids every day. And then, and obviously now having Shabin, you know, it's, it's been great. And I'm sure I'm missing probably half a dozen as well. Martina Weber at um, Iona was drafted. Um, one of the, the only player in that history to be drafted. You know, we had her too. So, you know, we've had some great players. Bonus question. We've been asking everybody this since the, the excitement level on campus is through the roof. What's your prediction for what the men's team is going to do this year? You know, I'm going to say this about the men's program. First of all, Coach Willard is a great friend of mine. I'm so happy for him. He's worked so hard. He does it the right way. He's a great guy. Um, he cares about his players uh, fantastically. Pressure on him is, is, is immense. How, he, how he's put this team in, in the position that he's put it into. Um, you know, when Angel and Kadeen and Desi and uh, those great players graduated, people thought he was going to take a step back. They've gotten better. That's a tribute to him and his staff and how hard they work. I have to say, though, I, I watch a lot of the men's practices. These are some of the nicest young men I've been I've known that in my seven years at Seton Hall. They're respectful. They, a lot of them don't even know who my wife is. They come over and say hello to her. They're respectful to their um, administrators, to their to our women's team. I mean, they 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 come to our games and they're yelling and screaming, and I'm like, oh my god, they're gonna get in trouble just for yelling at our kids. They're great kids, so I want them to do well. I, I have to tell you. I think they're going to have a fantastic year because they have fantastic kids. When you get in the NCAA tournament, guys, as you know, it's matchups. It's luck. You're going to win a game. you got to win a game you weren't going to win. Oh, listen, Virginia won two of them. 
I mean, they won the national championship. They should have lost twice. Yep. <laughs> you know, they, they should have lost in the. In, they lost yeah, the I mean, you know, what, I mean that, without a doubt, and 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 even in the final four, the the, the game they won. Um, you know, they, they were very very fortunate. So you know what? All I can tell you is I, I pray for our guys to do well um, because of my friendship with Coach Willard, um, and and my respect for him and the staff, Grant. Uh, the other gentlemen are, are just, they all work hard. Kyle Smythe to, to everyone. I want them to do well. Um, I, I think they have a great year. Sweet 16, Elite 8. You know what? Someone's going to have to make a shot. Someone's going to have to grab a rebound. The ball's going to have to go off someone's foot. And that's how it works. That's it. Uh, and, and I pray it happens that way. Congratulations, Coach. You've walked the plank. Uh, you guys have been great. Uh, I've never been more excited about basketball at Seton Hall. Um, we have great fans. Um the, the notes and the emails and texts I get are fantastic. Um, you know, I am proud of where we are as a program. Really, really a tough, you know, six years in building this program. And I think we're at a great place. And, you know, I have a great athletic director. Um, he's an alum. The person who hired me is still here, which I'm thankful for, Pat Lyons. And, and my staff, you know, um, Lauren and Melissa and Jose, and, you know, and, and Julia Pete, you know, um, like I said, Didi. A former player and and Denisha, it's just great people, guys. They they work really hard, and most of all, they care about Seton Hall. Like they really are invested in Seton Hall, and, that, and that's why I'm really proud to be the head coach here at Seton Hall as an alum. I'm proud to be on this on this show with two alums. It means a lot to me, and you know we're gonna come out west in the next year or two, and I'm gonna make sure I, I have a nice dinner with you guys. Absolutely, uh, I love I love your area. And, and, and I'll buy, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> well, coach. well, Coach, we really appreciate you spending some time with us here tonight, and good luck in this season. You know, we're going to have two great years this year. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Oh, coach thank Tony you. Tony Bazella. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please listen to our previous podcasts, which include interviews with former players Mark Bryant, Marcus Tony L, Lavelle Sanders, Jerry Walker, and Shaheen Holloway. For Tommy Chilkaharski, I am Mike Dizzy Dizzyri, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates. Thank <laughs> you.